One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to a classic big interview. This is where we dig into the vaults and choose an episode from the early days of the show. This time, we've gone all the way back to season 2017-18 and opted for one of our absolute favourites. This is what I had to say about it back then. Do enjoy. Hello, football fans. Welcome to another big interview. This time, it's with the wonderful Terry Gibson. I know Terry well, and I'd consider him a friend. Also, he is, without doubt, one of the best analytical eyes on televised football anywhere in Britain. You listen to him talking about La Liga in his co-commentaries, and you will learn. He's consistently articulate, bright-eyed, and worth listening to. But it wasn't for friendship or analysis that I chose him. Terry had a a smashing career. Brilliantly talented man. He coped with the ups and downs, and he speaks honestly about how it felt to leave the club that he's always supported. In fact, he's always loved. Spurs. Terry is always very, very funny. But there's still frustration in his voice as he recounts a trying time at Manchester United under Ron Atkinson, and then under Sir Alex Ferguson, a manager with whom Terry did have a massive fallout before patching it up and then moving on. But there's a happy ending too, with Wimbledon going on to lift the 1988 FA Cup. Spoiler alert. Yeah, they won the final. Terry talks brilliantly about that cup run and the final, the historic final against Liverpool. Terry, you're extremely excited right now. And it's not simply because we're (laughs) sharing a table again after... So long apart at Sky and covering La Liga. You're excited because you're a Spurs man, through and through and through, am I right? Yes, very much so. And therefore, times right now look kind of sweet. Yeah, and it's kind of weird, you know. I've kind of reflected back over my life as a Spurs fan because I grew up as a Spurs fan. My dad was a Spurs fan, my uncles, my cousins. That's who I went to watch Spurs with on a regular basis and carrying a... I used to carry a milk crate into the ground to stand all the kids had a milk crate that they could put at the front of the terraces 
So everybody passed the kids through. There was always milk crates. So I used to be right near the trainer's bench with the old West Stand. So you could see who was in the trainer's bench. So you could see over the wall? Exactly. Or? Yeah. yeah. So, cause it this was, is terracing. For those who don't remember terracing. Pay on the day. Queue up. Went to games where you couldn't get in because it was sold out. Sold out time was, was up. I grew up idolising Spurs players. My recollection is watching Chivers, Gilzine, Alamari, Phil Bill, people like that. That Cyril Knowles? Um, Cyril, yep. Yeah. Nice yeah, one, Cyril. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, yeah. Um, Pat Jennings in goal, of course. So I grew up idolising Spurs and then getting the opportunity to go to Spurs and then getting what I believed at the time discarded by Spurs. For the rest of my football career, probably I've spent the entire length of it trying to prove Spurs wrong. When really there was no need. It was just I was young and fired up, a bit of fire in my belly that, you know, I wanted to stay longer. That didn't happen. So for the rest of your career, you sort of fired up against Spurs every time you played them. And then it was kind of nice to go back to being a fan again after all that. You know, when you're playing against the team you support, kind of, you, you do lose that that element of supporting that club. Even when I was, you know, playing for Coventry, that was my first club when I left Spurs. A week later, we were playing at White Hart Lane. I was so fired up, it was ridiculous. Um, and that went on for a long period of, of my career. So you kind of lose that love, which was sad. Mm-hmm. But you can't have it if you're a professional and you're playing against them and you're competing against them. And, you, you, you know, particularly for one or two of the clubs I played for, which were deemed to be smaller. So like Coventry and Wimbledon, when you go and play White Hart Lane, it's one of the bigger games of the season. And you're the underdog and you, you've got to be fired up. So, And Wimbledon and Tottenham had a... <laughs> a weird relationship so it was it was kind of nice when I stopped playing to then pick up my love of Spurs again where were you in I suppose it was January 1980 yes it was yeah January 1980 FA Cup third round replay Old Trafford 53,762 spectators do we have to describe what a replay is <laughs> younger listeners yeah, so, <laughs> all right. Probably. And we used to have more Did, than does one. Does this mean you scored in the 1-1 one, one draw? Was that 1-1 one, one no, draw? No, it was 1-1 one, one on the Saturday and this would have been midweek. So mm-hmm. three days later. We didn't have to wait 10 days. Had you played in the first long. game? Yep, my debut was 29th of December against Stoke. Stoke? And a, then, a calm affair. Yep. No uh, kicking or fighting no, or I'm scratching or pulling. Or, yeah, Mike I, Doyle. I got a reputation in from day one. Mm. And then a part of that was I wanted to play in the the next game, and I thought, if I'd been picked to play in this one, there was one or two injury issues, but by and large, the team weren't scoring, so I was given the go-ahead to, to have a crack. And I knew we had Manchester United the week later at my Lane in the FA Cup, so that was my first target. Played well against Stoke, we won one nil, then selected for the next game, which was Manchester United at Pyatt Heart Lane, and we drew. So three days later, we've got the replay at Old Trafford, and picked to play again. It was the dynamic duo, me and Jerry Armstrong up front. There, there. <laughs> Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll come to Jerry in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> United in them days were Gary Bailey, Martin Buchan, Stuart Houston, Jimmy Nicholl, Gordon McQueen, Stevie Coppel, Mickey Thomas, Ray Wilkins, Sammy McElroy, Joe Jordan and Lou McCary. Yeah. You know, a decent oh, 11 there. Yeah. A decent 11 there. And the side that Spurs line up is Alexic, Hutton, Don McAllister, Paul Miller, Steve Perriman, Osvaldo Ardiles, Glenn Hoddle, Ricky Villa, Terry Yorath, yeah. Jerry Armstrong and... <laughs> Terry Gibson and what happens you got remember there's only one sub mm. per team then um, who's John Pratt yeah and they, you would usually use them as an impact or emergency of course if injury emergency 
So you're reluctant, managers were, were reluctant to use the subs and this, you're one nil down with 10 minutes to go and that's where we, we had the players that become known as super subs. And what happened in this particular game was, I mean, playing at Old Trafford, the Stretford in 60-odd 60, 60 thousand it probably was, um, midweek, it was on sports night, it, no live, so the highlights were going to be on later on television. And, and the ball goes into the box and Joe Jordan goes up for a header with Melia Alexic. Cleans him out, clear elbow. It was even by those standards when centre forwards were expected to go and challenge goalkeepers in that manner. It was a, it was an awful, awful collision. Elbow was out, straight into Amelia's jaws. He's mid air, fractured his jaw and cheekbone, and uh, it was all, all all over the place. I think I suck it. What we didn't realise though, there was because he got knocked out in the air when he landed, his knees uh. spun round. Yeah, okay. and he did his cruciate mm-hmm. uh, knee ligament. So the initial response was to a player that was severely unconscious, and his face was a, a mess. But you're looking at you're you're not thinking who's going to go and go. Are we going to win this game? You've got a teammate who's in a bad way. And then there was a long time to go in that game as well. Yeah, I'd say because we were into extra time as well. Twenty something minutes. Uh, yeah. There. So we're thinking. No plan here. Who's going to go and go? And Glenn is then, of all players, Glenn's fighting as Mealy is being stretched off. There's not even a replacement goalkeeping jersey. So Glenn's st- pulling this jersey off of Mealy Alexic as he's unconscious and <laughs> could be a neck injury or no, anything. I've forgotten. We're having, give, give, us your, give us your shirt and gloves. <laughs> and Glenn, yeah, I'd not seen Glenn in goal before. We somehow managed to. So did you have saves on. to make? Can you remember? Yes, you did, yeah. Yeah, he had saves to make, come out for some crosses, which was quite intimidating when Joe Jordan has, has already, already done, done <laughs> floored one. Um, and then we somehow found our way into extra time. I then had cramp, like debilitating cramp. As I said, I was just over 17 years old, and every time I tried to sprint, I got cramp. But we'd already used the sub, so I'm staying. I've got to stay on. So we're probably... Glenning goal, I'm not able to contribute too much at all. I'm sort of hobbling around and then and then Ozzy gets the ball and curls one in the top corner. Well, for anybody who's, one nil win for who's not seen this, the, the, what's the pitch like? The usual, which is yeah, brown and... Not the usual for now. No, no, usual for that time, brown and bobbly and... Churned uh, up. Churned up, yeah. If Ozzy's got space, yeah. the ball goes, goes to him immediately. Ozzy. And he kind of just, what, he, he takes he his, his foot around it, curls it, but not without, it's, it's not a powerful, so it's, sort of it's up and down and, and curving accurate. right to left into yes. the far corner. Yeah. I don't know, past um, Gary Bailey, who is a big, tall man, yeah. you know, to, to get it up and down and round, Gary yeah. Bailey from there, but on that pitch... With a with a wall of people in front of him at that to, stage of the game, goal, sublime technique. Two hours of football. I don't know if it wins goal of the season or what it wins or what it doesn't, but it was an iconic goal that that kind that of definitely an, definitely an iconic goal. You know, there's there's a reason for everything. So because you know, a life story is hard to get into one big interview. Whatever difficulty there was about the leaving of your true love and and ending up at Coventry. I want to hone in on how many hat tricks did you score in your career? One, just the one. Well, this is the one. Yeah, I know. This is I the know. one. Yeah. Because again, if people aren't aware that you know England's side at that moment and, and during your development as a footballer and for 
good half of your career and they're going to crop up later in your story. You know, Liverpool are exceptional. They're, they've got a stranglehold oh, on the title. The Europe. Um, they consistently win the European yeah. Cup. They're pretty damn good in... Biggest names, best managers, best players. It was... So how does Coventry beat them 4-0 and what's your role in that? I don't know. Honestly, don't know because it was my first game against Liverpool. It was most of the team had never played against Liverpool. We had lower league players that had not played against Liverpool. We had Stuart Pearce who just joined from Wildstone, Mickey Jin from Petersburg, Trevor Peak from Lincoln um, and, and Dave Bamber came from Blackpool, myself, although I'd played those early games for Spurs after that it, it was back to reserve football for a couple of years and, and then a 20 game spell in the first team in my last year at Spurs. We were really winning games, scoring goals, bit of a surprise package because half of these players no one had known too much about. I think we were about 6th or 7th in the league. We were expected to get relegated because we had Bobby Gould and as a new manager in the top division and all these new unheard of players that went on to have really good careers. And we were three new up in about 20, 25 minutes. And, and like, I mean, can we describe what kind of Liverpool we're talking about? Who are we talking about, do you remember? Oh, yes. Um, I feel Neil would have been playing. Mm-hmm. Because this Lawson, is Hansen. This is a year where they're... I mean... Douglas and Rush. How far Sonny off Lee. this is... Sooness. Is the brilliant performance. It's not the, it's not the era of the 5 nil against Nottingham Forest. It's, but it's this was e- December 83. So it's an era when... No, they, but you were 5 nil Forest when we... Beat them in the cup final. Beat them in the cup final. So you're, we're talking about them This team was better than that one. Won the Peter. European Cup in 81 mm-hmm. and um, got to the final again, I suppose, in 83. So this is a group of players who have consistently been yeah. European Cup train. finalists or winners. Yeah. And, yeah. and so did they not turn up? Partly. But we, but we blew them away. We were lucky in the fact that Rob Lowe made a couple of mistakes early, early on as well. That led to goals. Um, we took every chance that came our way. Backed by a full house at Highfield Road. It was it was kind of the, the perfect... They were below par. We were playing well, confident, and played really well. And the idea was to get out of them early on to see if they fancied it, and do you remember normally your, they did. Do you remember your hat-trick? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Go on, eh? Yeah. The first one would have been... Dave Bennett, I think, went through on a 1-2 and it never came off and it bobbled free in the 18-yard box and I, I think I slid. That That was one of the goals. And I slid in and hooked it with a bit of a mishit that trundled past. Top yourself up. down here. There was a knockdown in the penalty area from probably Dave Bamber that I turned and swivelled and got a decent strike on. Um, again, probably Robola might have been doing better. I think Nicky Plattner had bundled one in over the line as well with a again that shot that wasn't really powerful and you're then making this sound as if it was like you know, know yeah. a combination of luck and uh, I, it just stuck out to me as a moment that you know I wanted to pick on for you because you know that you know after having felt ill-treated at Spurs and, and, and let go and, and you must have thought like there's proof that I'm going to make it that I'm, I'm a top footballer yeah, I can't. When I left Spurs, I was annoyed. That, that hence what I was talking about earlier about my love for. Up for I fell out of love with them because yeah. I played twenty games in the first team. When I played those first games as a seventeen-year-old, I got a four-year contract. Um, when I, my contract ended, uh, and I didn't play in the first team for over two years after those initial three games, and that that was uh, Steve Archibald and Garth Crook signed. Mm. So 
I was 17, 18, 19. I'm not going to... And the, the way that they performed was... It, it they was were scoring me. goals. Partnership. You were winning tournaments. They were and, and, they, and they were working with... They were, they were a they were, duo, weren't they? Exactly. They were yeah. brilliant. Yeah. But in my last year, I got back in and played 20-odd games. And then was offered a one-year contract with a 50-quid-a-week rise. And that was done through the post. Mm. And I just felt that I wasn't being treated mm. accordingly for someone that had played... The, the last 20 games of the first division season that mm. year to open the post one morning and take it or leave it off of, of one year and 50 quid a week rise. And, and the, but, the, you know, the Coventry experiment... I mean, Coventry for three is, years, is, contract, is saying less money. Less money, but playing. Yes, and playing. I felt wanted at, at Coventry. Well, just 50-something goals in a couple of seasons at Coventry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and United pick you up. And I'm interested about the... I want you to paint pictures yeah. of the two Uniteds you saw. I just... Idea that I was going to leave Coventry because I was, you said, fifty-two goals in hundred and four appearances in two and a half seasons, and the last half of the season, the speculation was I could have gone, nearly came back to Spurs. Um, they sold me for seventy thousand. Didn't want to pay the two hundred and fifty at one stage that it was to get me back. Um, Peter Shreves had become manager. It was his idea to get me back, so I was, I was keen on that, of course. But that didn't happen, and then the. The more goals I got, the higher the price went, so the less chance of going back to Spurs. But, and I kind of knew that United were interested. And then I had a phone call from a former Coventry teammate who was now at Manchester United to ask Ron Atkinson. Peter Barnes said, Ron wants to know, would you be interested in coming to Man United? Yeah, of course. I, at the time, and I, I feel it now, it, it was justified. Me moving to a club... Started my career at Spurs, decent goal-scoring record when I was played in the right areas of the pitch. Proved myself at Coventry um, in a relegation-threatened team for two seasons. We survived on the last day of the season. Um, 19 goals in those two seasons, then 14, I think it was, in, the, in half a season. Again, in a team that was fighting relegation. 14 goals was harder than any of the players' tallies at Old Trafford when I joined them. It was the season they'd won 10 the first 10 games of the season and looked like they were going to win the league. By the time I joined them in January, it was highly unlikely they were going to win the league. They still had a chance, but it, was, it wasn't likely. So I probably joined a team that had peaked that season. Set the scene. Who's the coach? Ron Atkinson. Mm-hmm. Um, Ron bought me. And I, I was kind of feel aggrieved that I never got the chance that I should have done. I went there full of confidence then, with United still having a chance of winning the, the title for the first time in 20, well over 20 years, and my goal-scoring record that season in a team that didn't create as many chances as Man United would was far better than the, the players that were already at Old Trafford who were struggling with confidence and stuff like that. I got thrown in against Liverpool for my first game um, within a week of joining. I say thrown in, yeah, away to Liverpool. We drew 1-1, and that was it, to the end of the season. Mm. Um, another player, Peter Davenport, was signed. Mark Hughes was still at the club. Um, Frank Stapleton, Mark Hughes, left, was going to leave in the summer to go to Barcelona. By the time I got, we got towards the end of the season, and I played at Newcastle, we, my first game. Uh, it was my second game for the club, but three months apart, probably longer than the other one. And we were 3-0 up, I think, before I... Seriously injured my knee with two or three games to go that season. So it took me a year to make my home debut. Mm-hmm. I never played for United at home 
with Ron as manager. So before I'd settled in, before I'd played a home game for the club, I was on this list of players that were going to be leaving the club without hardly ever getting a game. And I see it time and time again now. So I, I will stick out for the players that we talk about on our Spanish football. Mm-hmm. Zaza was one. There's one me at Ralph Sausedad. Oh. I see one me flop at Southampton. Didn't score in 22 appearances. He started two games. Mm-hmm. So give, you, you have to give people a chance. You can't just say... So put flesh in the bones of what you've talked so about. Because off, you're, talking about, you're talking about a human being's self-regard and confidence and... You know, irrespective of your level of talent, if the mental side, the application, the self-belief, the willingness to take risks, the willingness not to hide, all of these are eroded if you feel that the person who's employed you isn't interested or doesn't yeah. want to give you a chance. And Is there's, that right? there's always a mystery about it as well. I went and saw Ron on a few occasions and he, he kind of waffled on. He, he didn't really give me a, an honest answer. And then apart from one day he said to me, I signed the wrong player from Coventry. I should have signed Cyril. Cyril Regis. Yeah, by all means, make a choice. There's no comparison between me and Cyril. And Cyril was a player, it's totally different. And so he was just being flippant, he was trying to be clever. It didn't help. And I was sub one game and I'd been sub for a few matches. And he said, I was actually going to the toilet before the game in the changing room. And he came up and he was going to the toilet. He went, Do you know why have you a sub kid? So I said, No. By that time, I wasn't really, I could have been clever and said, I'm playing in a few different positions, I can quit. So I said, No. And he said, Because you're a lucky mascot. So I thought, cheers, that's that. So I'm not going to get on. And if, yeah, it, it was just weird how it, everything went so south so quickly without any obvious reason. Paint the picture of what the environment was like around you, though, because you, unfortunately, because you were either rehabbing or waiting for your chance, well, the you, rehabbing, were, you were a I pair of eyes, you were a witness to yeah, The rehabbing was ridiculous when you look back now, but it was, I think it was about three games to go for the end of the season. I had surgery on my knee, I had to have further surgery in the summer, and then I was expected to return back pre-season on my own accord, fit enough to train again. And I did. There was no physio, there was no rehabilitation at the club. It was... Just get on with it. Yeah, come back and see if you're fit for day one of pre-season. And then I went back pre-season and the, the, the same thing continued. I got a game at Leicester. We, hadn't, we were in the relegation position mm. just before Ron got the sack. Manchester United. Right? Yes, and... Um, we hadn't won. I got another game at Leicester. So now my first three games have probably come about six or seven months apart. They've all been away from home. And then we got a draw at Leicester. First points for a few games or first point of the season or something, something really weird like that. And then I was dropped again the following week. And we had Southampton at home and they won 5 0. We, oh, we won 5 0. But, the, but the and it was always going to be an easier game than the, the one the week before, the ones the week before that. <laughs> Um, where the confidence was going away, we get a draw, a good draw at Leicester, and then I'm thinking, oh, I might get a game against Southampton, who were another team that were probably struggling at the time below us or something, and it 5 0, and I was back on the bench. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. 
What was the regime like? Because what, what's emerged now is that the new regime, which we'll talk about in a minute, came in and found slackness and, and decay and, and players who were drinking or players who were kind of allowed to do what they wanted to do. The Ron Atkinson, it strikes me as somebody who had his mind on greater things or on himself or whatever, but it wasn't the right regime at a big football club? Yeah, no, or is that was, unfair? No, no, it's not. It's, as I said, I think that team peaked that season. It was only when I went to Manchester United and people could drift out and train when they wanted to. The manager could drift out and train when he wanted to. For instance, a, a perfect example would be travel down to London for a game with, with Coventry or travel up north with Spurs and stay in a hotel overnight. There would be a set dinner time at six o'clock. There would be a menu that you could choose from. It would be super melon, chicken or steak. It was the same for, for both teams. When I went to United, my first trip down to London... We stayed in the Royal Lancaster Hotel. I'm sharing a room with Mickey Duxbury. And I've said to him, what time's dinner? He went, well, what do you mean, what time's dinner? I said, well, don't... He went, no, no, just... There's four or five different restaurants here or we can order room service. So, oh, strange. So we ended up, as you would, totally abusing. We had a big strawberry ghetto and a big strawberry milkshake and steak and Dover sale and lobster and it was, it was just with no, normally no I remember team unity no structure we get to the hotel in London about 4 o'clock and we're leaving at midday 1 o'clock the next day we don't see each other until that, that time so you've had dinner breakfast everything's room service the big trays coming into your room on the trolley with a big silver platter thing on top with your lobster and prawns under it and then at the end of it Mickey Duxbury empties the entire minibar into his bag and Mickey's not even a drinker and I'm thinking I said what are you doing he went oh this is for the lads the drinkers on the way home on the bus clearly it was different because it wasn't like it at Spurs it wasn't like it at Coventry yeah. it was just like it now whether it had always been like that on the run I, I doubt it I probably don't think it had because he'd had success with a group of players that had grown with him like Norman Whiteside and Paul McGrath and, mm. the, the, and probably the whole thing became a little bit too comfortable in terms of team selection people fighting for a place they didn't have to they were there was a group that were runs friends as mm. much as anything else so it was it was different there was no organization there was no planning for the next game there was no team shape there was no tactics it was just the same players knew that they were playing and let you know unless because that wasn't affection, you know, because you smiled for the first time because you were not... Oh, no, as a player, you that. loved it. It was all you wanted to do. There was the three things you wanted to do. Shooting practice, a bit of a keep ball session or a small-sided game and some sprints. But it was not conducive to organisation no, 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 winning tactical, games of No learning from the last no. mistakes of the last game or what. So the new broom, the new broom. Look, you're, you're going to last, you know, to the end of a season with Sir Alex Ferguson, Fergie there. Yeah. But one... Who, who the hell was he when he was... I know. I grew up in Aberdeen. Yeah, he, yeah. he was everything to, to, to me and people you know, like I, I know, I knew who he was. And, and I, at the time, yeah, he wasn't a massive name. It wasn't a surprise. He'd been linked with a job. There was speculation that Rob yeah. was on borrowed time. So he was the name that kept coming up. With known about his success at Aberdeen. And any manager that, that walks in through the door, the first thing a player wants to do is a first impression and, and impress and... And hope he, he fancies you. What did you notice? What did you notice? If you know, if you oh, think straight about away, it, no, yeah. straight. There was an instant. We, our first away trip was uh, at, funny enough, place where I ended up living, where I'd lived before in Epping, little post house hotel. We were playing West Ham. It was the sensible place to stay. It was near to yeah. Upton Park. It's not 
a great Gosh. hotel. It's still not a great hotel, but Manchester United stayed there because it was convenient. And the first night, the away trip was super melon chicken and steak. It was, <laughs> and there was a meeting time for dinner. Yeah. There was a meeting time, and you ate together. And a meeting for the next day. Yeah, um, we ate together, and everything was back to normal again. There was no meeting. No, no, no. No, they were empty. Training ground, what did you notice? Well, the treatment room overlooked the pitch as well. So for three days of the week, half the first thing would be watching training through the window Mm. and then turn up on Thursday and Friday and play Saturday. So that changed. That treatment room cleared out because a new manager. So everybody was miraculously recovered and fit and raring to go. And then instead of ambling around, waiting for the manager to come out or players to, to come out and train, it was... From day one, he read the rule book. What were the rules? Um, all the same rules that were Spurs and commentary. Ah. So it was just normal procedure. Oh, yeah, exactly. The, the basic requirements that were expect, I, I thought were expected everywhere and probably were. It, it ends up not working for you to the extent that you're, you know, you're about to quit football, you know, before. Yeah, before I gave up with the whole Manchester United thing. I, with. Fergie, he gave me far more respect. He didn't buy. He wasn't the manager that bought me, but he gave me opportunities. And when I say I gave up, that's probably the wrong phrase. I'd lost faith in the project. I pretty soon after Sir Alex Ferguson took over, I was constantly on this list of players that he wanted out, and that was a reflection on him. It was just made up list from that carried on from when Ron was manager. That the whole speculation always at United was who they were going to buy, who they were going to sell, mm. and it, it was kind of. It destroyed your self-esteem to continue to see your name on a list with you know, 10, 12, a lot of players, but the same names on it all the time. And and I kind of made up my mind that at the end of the season, it wasn't for me, even though I had more playing opportunities and scored a goal against Arsenal, uh, Old Trafford. So it kind of, but I have no complaints with how Stradix Ferguson treated me in his time, but it was, it was a lost cause. I was a lost cause. The whole Manchester United thing for me was a lost cause. And I, I needed to, 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 to get away. But we fell out big time you, you, at the end. You for, lost for, it completely. For 24 hours. We had a game at Chesterfield in, for the reserves pre-season. I'd always sell my house. I was living in a hotel. I'd made up my mind I was leaving. I wanted to go, same as we talked about earlier, and play regular again. And we had a reserve game at Chesterfield, so my mind's all over the place. Wife and daughter have moved back down to London, waiting for me to get a move somewhere and... and this game at Chesterfield, we actually got... It was a, playing their first team. So it's Chesterfield, uh, Chesterfield first team. It's Manchester United Reserves, young team. I think me and John Sieverbeck were the only two sort of senior players. Mm-hmm. And we got there late, stuck in traffic, literally 10, 15 minutes before kickoff. It's a full house at Saltergate, their stadium. 12,000, 15,000 people because it's... Rocking, it's ready to ready to turn and we were... I can't remember exactly. It was a 5-4 or a 4-3. But whatever it was, we were losing 3-0 or 4-0 after about half an hour. And what overturned it? And came back and won. Not and bad. So at half-time, we've had this horrendous journey. We got there late, straight onto the pit. Young team, first team opposition, men, senior players. And we came back, second half, warmed up. We'd warmed up from the journey, got, got our legs going and, and ended up winning. And Fergie was there. And... I thought it'd have been something that he would have really have liked. The it's difficulty, the journey, glorious Fergie Man United back. And, and he came in and he, he went berserk. And he said, I want to see you all in my office first thing in the morning. 
and we went in and he read the right act again and said how what a disgrace we were to the club, the history. He really let rip. And I, as John Seberbeck, similar, exactly the same Danish as fullback. Yeah, Danish international Danish playing. For, he was a terrific player as well. He, we signed the same day and left us pretty much the same day and we were treated exactly the, the same way. It was a, a weird situation. And John didn't say anything. Um, and I stood up and said my point and said that I thought we deserved, the younger players deserved credit, that, you know, explained for the how we got back. there late, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we went out to Amar and Tongs and I told him he could shove his football up his arse and stormed out, slammed the door in front of all the other players and said that was the arms jacking it in. I go back to the hotel, ring Paul and my, my wife, tell her what's happened. She said, oh, Bobby Gould's rang you. So I said, oh, what did what he want? And he'd just take the Wimbledon job. So I'm thinking, what did he want? I'm thinking, please. <laughs> back in London. A bloke that likes me, yeah. who bought me at Coventry, treated me well, got me playing well, had faith in me. So I said, what is he want? She went, I don't know. She, he's left a number. So I rang him and he said, do you fancy it? I said, oh, what? yes, yes, I do. Yeah, of course I do. So I said, I was even going to ring you for advice because my head's coming off. I don't know what I'm doing. So he said, look, we know you know we can't pay you for a bit of negotiation. When he said, do you fancy us? She said, oh, well, make me an offer. I know you know it, Bob, yeah. but, it's, yeah. you know, yeah. Wimbledon, um, come on. And we spoke, and he said, how much do you think he wants? So I said, I, I Ooh, don't Fergie. know. Fergie. I said, I've no idea. Don't know. So he said, all right, leave it with me. So I went in, the, and I was going to do this anyway. It wasn't because I there was a chance that Wimbledon were going to buy me. I'd slept on it, and I went in the next morning, and I said... I got in there early, and of course he was there. And he said, um, would you want... So I said, I'm coming to apologise. I was out of yeah. order. But I still stand by what, <laughs> we, what I say, um, and I'm not going to pack in football. So he said, oh, why that? I said, because I want to come and score against you, and I want to win a trophy. <laughs> and I said, and so, lo and behold, the next year I'd scored two goals and knocked him out of the League <laughs> Cup, won the FA Cup. Um, and then he went to me, he said, OK... A Bobby Gould rang you? So I went, no. Lying through my teeth. <laughs> he must, he, he knew. And he went, but, swear on your daughter's life. And I went, I can't do that. He went, tell him I want 200 grand. And I literally used the payphone in the training round to ring Bobby to Gould Bobby, to tell him 200. the 200 grand. And then I hung around pretending I didn't know that there might be an offer going in. And then Fergie came out. It was, it was Terry Gibson telling me... Bobby Gould's been on the phone. What a day. What a day for you. Boat, boots in the car. When I joined Wimbledon, Bob took, didn't take me to Plough Lane or the training ground because he didn't want me to see them. He when thought I would put you off. So he met me in a pub in Wimbledon Village, which was really nice. And then I agreed <laughs> and then went to Plough Lane and there's a portal <laughs> cabin. And then there's the training ground, which was a transport cafe for lorry drivers and school playing fields. Unless anybody forget, we're talking about. Wimbledon in the division that is, is now the Premier League. This is a Wimbledon top, Premier League. Top seven, top eight, regular. And yet these were your facilities. Incredible, yeah. Buy your so own that, boots, make your own way to games, drive your own car to FA Cup semi-final. How did you actually win the Cup? Because I, I think, I genuinely, I'm trying to pinpoint, like everybody knows, listen to this, that you're Terry Gibson FA Cup winner. Mm-hmm. 
even though they know you're an FA Cup winner, they don't know the ludicrous personal situation that you were in to be able to turn out at Wembley on that blazing hot day against Liverpool. And I think it's worth explaining because I think it's people don't know the struggles that players have or the risks they take or sometimes what they're willing to do to achieve their personal moment of glory. And in this instance, this interview, that applies to you. Do you know, I fractured my pelvis when I was 14 and played within six weeks because we had a cup final. I was never there. I had this Oscar's slattest disease when I was at Spurs and took no time off at all. So you, you kind of become accustomed to, if I can, I will, which has massively changed now, whereas, you know, they're finely tuned, too finely tuned. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember seeing the growing up and seeing kid, uh, older players having injections in their knees and their feet mm. and their uh, injections in my groins and my ribs and ankles and because it was... It was expected of you to do it, and also you didn't want to miss a game. You mm. wanted to play. So that season that we're talking about, the FA Cup, I actually had a hernia. So I missed the first two rounds. I had what was known as a Gilmore's groin. I was one of the first to have it. Well done. I was this continuous pain in my groin and hip and lower back that no one had ever really identified what it was, and it, it, it was a kind of hernia. And he, he would stick his finger in through the skin and find the tear and you'd hit the roof with pain and he would do something. It was Otis Gilmore is his name and he'd become famous for carrying out all these surgeries that players in the past had suffered and there was no real sort of cure for it. So I was lucky that there was someone around that knew what the problem was. So you would go residential at Lillyshaw who had the, the staff there and the facilities there because clubs weren't interested in you if you were out for six months because there was one physio that looked after all the players at the club, did all the strappings, all the treatments, so you would be neglected. So you would go together to Lillyshaw and train there and mm. a group of like-minded people that the injured, fighting their way back. I remember doing a circuit there after my hernia and I felt the other side tear. I literally heard it tear. Yeah. So I thought, oh, no, so I came back and... Spoke to the club and they said, "No, it can't. It can't have happened." Started training, still feeling the pain, and then we got to. We came to an arrangement that I would play whilst we were still in the FA Cup, so I wouldn't train. I would play, and then recover. I would have to drive into Wimbledon and have a bath hmm. in an old tin bath. I got one at home, but it, it was a real, real thing in back in the day that coming for a bath. Sometimes you drive two hours to go and have a bath when you got one. Anyway, so there was no you physio. I wasn't training. I couldn't jog. Towards the end of the week, I could jog in straight lines, but I couldn't sprint round corners or go fast round corners. I wore these ridiculous neoprene thick shorts under my match shorts when I was playing. Kind of like a, a groin corset or a hernia exactly, corset. Exactly to, what it was. To hold it in. Yeah. And then we got through one round and then the next round and the next round. and So I, I'd probably done that early March, I'd probably say, from March till May. I barely trained because if I trained it would hurt for two or three days so I would play then hurt for two or three days and recover and then play again in the next game so and what made it worse I actually picked up a medial knee ligament injury as well so if you look in the semi-final I've got strapping around my knee and that's to hold the joint together and then six days before the final I'm pretty sure I broke my what is now known as metatarsal but it used to be just the bone in the top of your foot that I kicked through the bottom of Paul McGrath's you put my United Old Trafford yeah. six days before the final. I'd scored, had another shot. Paul's blocked the shot. I've hit the bottom of his boot. 
I can't get my boot on 24 hours before the cup final because it's swollen. So I slept when I did get it on with my boot on. Couldn't a situation like that, shoes on. when you can't get your shoes on, your foot's really swollen. Yeah. One of the things you should never do is go to the pub. So luckily you, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no. What? I didn't drink, though. What? <laughs> you did no, go to the we pub trained, it, it, the night before in, the, the FA Cup final, I mean, right? The, and also, we trained for three hours that night before the cup final. <laughs> so when people say what makes the spirit, it wasn't hard, it wasn't intense, it wasn't physical. We Still trained three hours. for three hours on set pieces, defending set pieces, attacking set pieces. The amount of detail that went in and the amount of hard work that went in, the amount of fitness training that went in. But the, the attention to detail, the hard work, the preparation, the professionalism, I've been nowhere better than at Wimbledon. I quite liked that we were winning games of football, not getting beat, and ultimately winning a trophy. So people ask me, what, how did that work out? They all think we're a bunch of herbits that had a laugh and a joke and found their way into an FA Cup final, it was the mo- it was one it, arguably the most professional group of players that I've worked with, with the man- with the right manager and the right coach. You, you substitute and everything was- you've said, and it's Atletico Madrid. Yeah, exactly. It's very oh, we, best. Uh, we, we believe at Wimbledon we invented the channel ball, the in-swinging free kick. Before we did it, no one did an in-swinging free kick. It ends up winning us the FA Cup final. The diving header, we invented that. <laughs> um, the goalkeeper dribbling out. Mm. Near enough, it was as far as they'd let him to, to, to gain some territory so that the ball goes. He was best was pinging it in the eighteen yard box from fifteen yards. So all the all the things that are detrimental to football in general. Well, if I was an outsider, I'd be looking at it and thinking, why do you claim credit for that? But it was literally something different, something that came from Dave Bassett that was moved on, that Don Howe and Bobby Gould progressed with to being so organised. The fittest players I've ever played with were the mm. boys at Wimbledon. We were programmed, fit, great attitude, never say die. When we came together over that white line before kickoff, we were together. Whatever happened off the field, Monday to Friday or Saturday night, didn't saying. matter. Yeah. But against the odds, we were, we were going to win games of football and, and ultimately mate, win a trophy. When your mate gets the goal, which is a nice part of the story. And he shouldn't have been there. After all that three hours training, Corky should have been there, not Sanch. Corky messed up. Cookie still is bitter about it now. Alan Cook. I know who you mean. Yeah. Jack's. Yeah, Jack's. Dad. Jack's dad, yeah. Cookie was meant to be where Sanch was. I can remember it. I was edge of the box and I remember Sanch saying, Cookie, yeah, go uh, in there, uh, go uh, there. You're now out of my comfort. You don't have to explain it. We had the in swinging free kick. Yeah. And as I say, we trained for three hours and Cookie still got it wrong. I don't know whether he thought he would use his experience because he was clever player Corky and try something different and Sanch was shouting I remember Sanch shouting and Corky go like near go exactly position I'm trying to describe it where Laurie scored from mm. that was meant to be Corky and Sanch was meant to be somewhere else Sanch saw that Corky wasn't there and thought filled the space I'm going to go yeah and then and gets the goal and Corky still says should have been me <laughs> <laughs> and it should have been him <laughs> and he would have done exactly the same because that was his speciality, wasn't it? Corky, the, the <laughs> glancing header. There's a price for being a free spirit, Corky. There is a price yeah, for being yeah. a free spirit. So that, that should have been Corky. What an yeah. absolute joy, my friend. A, a privilege. No, 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 my what, pleasure. What a fabulous football career. Talk, what a right good football mind you've got. Talk for England. Talk for England now. Begin of you fans, share some love with Terry Gibson. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true. Graham Hunter. 
and back page. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.